This is Solid Foundation Ministries with Dr. Pierre Couvert, building solid foundations through sound Bible teaching. Good morning and welcome back to Solid Foundation Ministries. This morning I want to look at God's holiness. First of all, because I believe we need to get a grasp of it if we want to effectively serve God. Without understanding this subject, we will never understand the lostness of the sinner. Without understanding this subject, how can we present God to the sinner in such a way as to bring conviction in the heart? In Revelation chapter 4 and verse 8 we read, And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was, and is, and is to come. Here we have four creatures in heaven which do nothing day and night but to declare God's holiness. That should impress upon us the importance of this subject. They are the same creatures we see back in Isaiah chapter 6, the seraphim, which uh, had six wings. Four to cover themselves up in, in the presence of a holy God, and with two they flew. This, they covered themselves because of their shame before a holy God. Nothing compa can uh, compare to God and His holiness. They declared God's threefold holiness. God is absolutely holy. He is called the Lord God Almighty also in this in this uh, verse. And we need to understand that he's not only holy, but that he is almighty. And we will be looking in the next few weeks at uh, the, omnis or omni the omnipotence of God and how, how his almightiness should strike fear in our hearts. He is the one which, which is and was and is to come. And folks, this declares the eternity of God. God lives in the eternal present. He, he presently was. He presently is. And he presently will always be. He is eternal. But the bottom line that I want us to get out of this is God is holy. So what does it mean to be holy? Well, here's the, uh, the dictionary definition whole, entire, or perfect in a moral sense, hence pure in heart, temper, or dispositions, free from sin, and sinful affections. Now, I want you to think about that. We, as human beings, we, as Christians, we do our best to live sinless lives, but we're still uh, drawn toward sin. We still have affections toward the flesh, and we're drawn towards sin. But God has no uh, sinful affections. That means that he has no desire to sin. There's nothing drawing him away from this perfect holiness that he has. And I don't know if you can imagine what it would be like to be perfectly holy and not to be uh, tempted by anything that is wrong. Job chapter 34 at verse 10 tells us that God will not, indeed cannot, do wickedness. That means he can't do anything that's wrong. God is, is uh, 
perfectly holy and he cannot go against his nature. We say God can do everything and that's true. He can do everything within his nature, but he cannot go contrary to his nature. There is no iniquity in him. Everything uh, is is um, perfect in him. There is nothing perver- perverted. There is nothing unclean. He is the absolutely perfectly holy God. First John 1 John 1.5 tells us God is light. Now what does light do? When you walk into a dark room and you throw on the light switch, what happens? Everything in that room is is brought to light or is exposed and God exposes right and wrong. Just seeing his holiness helps us to understand what's right and wrong. And that is a big problem we have today among Christians because we do not respect the holiness of God. And we see things that uh, may be a little on the questionable side and we justify ourselves. But if we could see God in his holiness, we would no longer do that. In him is no darkness at all. Nothing is hidden from God. Nothing that you do nothing that I do, nothing that anyone does, absolutely nothing is hidden from God. Now that should be a scary thought Uh, when we think about we can't hide anything. God's holiness is his fundamental characteristic. We like to talk today about how God is love and that is true, God is love. But his love flows out of his holiness. That means it is controlled and governed by his holiness. And he cannot go contrary to his holiness. We have this idea that we can live our lives however we want and God will forgive us because he loves us. But that's not true. The Bible says, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. That means he gives spankings to his children when they get out of line. His justice flows from his holiness. That means he cannot be unjust in any way. He is absolutely perfectly just salvation flows from his holiness by that I mean that that, uh, everything about salvation flows out of God's holiness that means he cannot uh, justify the sinner without proper uh, propitiation for for our sins etc His condemnation flows from his holiness. It's his holiness that obligates him to send people to hell when they refuse to submit to him and accept the death that his son paid on the cross for their salvation and try to do it themselves. There are a lot of, humanly speaking, good people that are going to wake up in hell someday. Why? Because they refuse to stop trying to save themselves through their good works. Oh, they say, I believe in Jesus, but I have to do this and this and this. By the way, that's one of the problems I have with requiring a prayer for salvation. There's nothing wrong with praying when a person gets saved. But when we base our salvation on a prayer, is not that basing our salvation on a work? So we need to be careful. But His Holiness cannot uh, allow anyone who is depending and trusting in their own doing, their own works, into heaven. And it's a dangerous thought to think of that. God's holiness will keep sin out of the holy city. That's the the New Jerusalem. It comes down here again where Revelation uh, chapter 21 verse 27 it says, and there shall and there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither 
whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the uh, Lamb's book of life. The only ones who are going to get into heaven are those whose, whose sin is washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. And by the way, the Bible says we're saved by faith in his blood yeah, and I don't care what people like John MacArthur say it's not the uh, who, uh, when they uh, tell us that it's not the blood it's his death it is definitely faith in his blood the Bible is very clear on that subject next I want to look at some of the ways in which God's holiness is manifest in Genesis chapter 6 verses 5 and 6 it says and God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him in his heart. God saw the sinfulness of man back in the times of Noah, and by the way, we're approaching very similar times if we're not already there today, and it caused him to send the great flood. The form of repentance that it's talking about here, that God it says, it says it repented the Lord that he had made man in the earth. But this type of repentance is a repentance that has to do with great sorrow of heart. He was brokenhearted because he had created man on this earth. He had provided everything that man needed and everything that, that, that he should ever want for them. Yet man chose to rebel against him and that broke his heart. He was grieved in his heart by the absolute sinfulness of man. It says that their thoughts were evil continually. And that's the way it is with many people today, even some who profess to be Christians. Their hearts are evil continually. They continually thinking about what they want to do and how they want to do things. And, and uh, uh, oftentimes it goes contrary to the word of God. It was sufficient to cause a loving God to destroy all of mankind except for eight souls. That's how bad the sin was. Now, if you don't think God takes sin seriously, just think about the flood. Or you might say, well, you know, that was really just a local flood. You could not have a local flood that covered a mountain high enough uh, for the ark to have landed on Mount Ararat. There's nothing that would have stopped the water from flowing everywhere else. An absolute impossibility. And there's evidence throughout the whole earth to the flood. Think about how serious God is about this issue of sin. Another uh, way that God's holiness is manifest is his, is his call to righteousness and holiness to those who are his children. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 13 through 16. It says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy." You will notice that this verse starts out by saying, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. 
God expects a change in our thinking and a change in our lives if we're his children. One of the things that really bothers me today is how easily we accept somebody's profession of faith. There's no change in their thinking. There's no change in anything. They're not interested in things of God. They don't care what the Bible says. They're not interested in being in church. But he expects obedience from his children. He expects us to obey his word. That's why he gave it to us in the first place. That's why he has preserved it pure all these centuries so you and I can know what he said way back when he initially said things. And he expects us to obey these things. He expects us as the children of God to show forth his holiness in our lives. Our lives should be a reflection of him. It'll be a dim reflection because we're in the flesh and I understand that, but it should be a reflection of him. When a lost person sees a Christian, he should say there's something different about that person. He's not like I am and therefore I need what he has. The reason we have such a hard time reaching the lost today isn't because the lost have changed, It's because Christians have changed. Christians used to live a life that reflected the glory of God. Today, Christians live just like the world, and then we wonder why when we try and bring the world to Christ, the world will not come to Christ. He expects us to be different. He says, because he is holy, we are supposed to be holy. And that means we're to be as far removed from sin and separated from it as we possibly can. Now, we still live in a body of flesh, and we still battle with it, and I understand that, and we will slip sometimes. But if you're truly a Christian, when you sin, the Holy Spirit will uh, will bring conviction in your heart. And if he does not, then you have reason to uh, question whether or not you're truly born into the family of God. Because if the Holy Spirit lives inside us, that is, if God himself, because remember, the Holy Spirit is God, lives inside of us, he cannot allow us to sin and not bring conviction in our hearts. Sometimes it takes a little while to come up. I think of David when he sinned with Bathsheba. It wasn't until the prophet came and pointed it out to him that he finally realized that he'd sinned against God in this sin. And uh, uh, sometimes it takes us a little time, but the Holy Spirit will not give us peace as long as we have sin in our hearts. And especially those of us who, those of us, I hope you and I are not among them, but those uh, who uh, continue to walk in sin and knowing full well what righteousness is. I have people that come to mind when I think about that who profess to be Christians and they have chosen to follow the world instead. I wonder if they're truly saved. But at any rate, I rant enough on that. Another way that God's holiness is manifest is in his separation from the unrepented sinner. Now this can be an unrepented lost person. This can also be a Christian who's living in uh, in sin. It's in Isaiah chapter 59 verses 1 and 2. It says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not slackened that he, it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. 
So God sometimes refuses to listen to people because they're living in sin. It says God is able to save. Now, I believe primarily that's talking about salvation of the soul, but he's quite capable of saving us out of difficulty as Christians and things, but oftentimes we uh, don't get answered prayer because we're living contrary to his principles. Uh, God is waiting for us to call upon him. He's there. He's listening. But as long as we live in iniquity, he will not hear us. Our iniquities are the cause of the separation between us and our God between uh, the Christian and his God, another way that God's uh, holiness is manifest is in his punishment of the sinner. This really shows what God thinks about sin. In Revelation chapter 20 and verse 15, it says, And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. I want you to think about that. Uh, my wife the other day asked me the difference between hell and the lake of fire because they are not one and the same because we are told that hell will be cast into the lake of fire. But hell is the holding place until the final judgment of the lost people. And it is a place of torment in flames. If you don't believe that, just read the story about the rich man and Lazarus. He says, I am tormented in these flames. I don't know if they're just as hot or whether they will be hotter in the lake of fire. I don't know that. The Bible doesn't tell me. But the final destination of the unrepentant sinner is the lake of fire. That should concern us about our lost family members and our last lost friends. It should give us a desire to see them saved. We should want to make sure that we have done everything we can to bring them to Christ. The lake of fire is where all of the sinners that refuse to come to Christ on his terms will be separated from God for all eternity. And it will be an eternal separation in torment. We need to understand that the lake of fire was not made for man. It was made for Satan and his angels. But God has said that if you choose to follow Satan and if you refuse to come to Christ, that's the choice you have made. If you if you choose to follow Satan, that you will follow him all the way to the lake of fire and you will spend an eternity in eternal torments, being tormented by the flames of God. Now, folks, I believe part of that uh, torment is going to relate back also to the opportunities that you had to seek out and find the true God that you refuse to uh, to do. And I pray that if there's anybody listening to this broadcast who has not come to Christ for salvation, if they're not certain of their salvation, that they make sure that they are right with God. They've come to him on his terms. Don't listen to what man tells you. Go to the scriptures and find out how a person has to be saved. Another way that God's holiness is manifest is in his provision for the sinner. We all know John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have uh, everlasting life. That is God's provision, and it's a provision for the whole world. I don't care what the Calvinists say. There's a rise in Calvinism in Baptist churches today, and it's sad because jo John Calvin wrote his Institute 
reference to, to uh, of the Christian religion, his greatest work, I guess you could say, for one specific purpose, and that was to prove that he was not a rebellious Baptist, prove to the king of France that he was a good citizen. But uh, God loves the world, but his holiness requires justice. And those who will not come to him on his terms uh, must be punished. They must be because God is holy. And I, I want you to understand something. When it talks about believe on him, believing on Jesus Christ, that's not some sloppy, shallow uh, intellectual belief. Say, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. It is a full 100% trust in him. Oh, our faith will fail from time to time. It did with Abraham. It did with David. It did with many of the other great saints of the Bible. But but our trust needs to be in him. And uh, he has no choice because of his justice to uh, to punish the sinner. And that's why he sent his son to die in our place. Folks, if we could do anything to save ourselves, why would Jesus have had to die on the cross in our place? And if you ever want to realize what it was like, I want you to think of two things. The horror of crucifixion, the painfulness of it, and the suffering that went involved or was involved with it. And I also want you to think about the fact that it was God dying on that cross who did not deserve to be there and how much more painful it must have been for him than it would for a human being because he had to lay aside his his deity for a moment so that he could so that he could die in our stead. Would he have paid such a great price if there was any other way that he could have saved mankind? The answer to that is obviously no, he would not have. God sent his son to die on the cross because that was the only way that he could remain holy and just and righteous and still forgive the sinner. There had to be someone else who took the punishment for us as sinners. So what does all of this mean to us and how should it affect us? First of all, we must draw nigh to God with all. Listen to what it says in Psalms 33, 8. It says, Let all the earth fear the Lord and let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Awe is a word which means fear. It means dumbstruck. It means when you see something, and here we're talking about the holiness of God. When you see the holiness of God, you should say, oh, I, it should scare the tar out of you, frankly. And you should be dumbstruck, just, ah, I don't know what to do. It should cause you to fall to your face. And if you doubt that, just look at some of the encounters of God, or with God, I should say, uh, of some of the saints of the Old Testament. I mean, what happened? They fell on their faces before him because they saw his, his greatness. Now, I know they did not see God the Father. They saw manifestations of the Lord Jesus Christ, in my opinion, and I think that's what these uh, appearance of God in the Old Testament were. But it dumbstruck them. They they were speechless. They didn't know what to say. I mean, I think of the great prophet Isaiah and the way he responded when he saw the Lord high and lifted up. And that's the way it should happen instead of just treating him like some uh, other uh, being of some sort and sometimes people act like he was just a man but he was not he is not he is god
the holy God, the almighty God, the God who knows everything about you, and the God that we should fear and that we should love. Anyway, get back on subject here. Uh, when we see the Lord, and uh, it will cause us to fear because of our own uncleanness, just like the great prophet Isaiah. We should see ourselves in our sinfulness. The Bible says the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. I believe that's talking about his holiness. When we start to understand his holiness, then it leads us to repentance. But it's not until we have godly sorrow that repentance actually takes place in our hearts. It will cause us to repent in uh, dust and ashes, to use the biblical way of doing things. In uh, Job chapter uh, 42, verses 5 and 6, it says, And I heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee, wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Abhor means to loathe or detest. When we see ourselves in the light of God's holiness, we will loathe or detest ourselves. We will say, whoa, I am undone. We will, we will fall on our face and we will repent in dust and ashes. Remember this, who was Job? Job was declared to be a good man, both in the beginning of the book of Job and in the end of uh, the book of Job. And he was declared such by the Almighty God, Jehovah God. Yet getting to see God caused him to detest himself and to repent in dust and ashes. I'm afraid that we just don't see God as he is. Holiness is not capricious about sin. It doesn't just let it go because, oh, he's a nice guy or something like that. The wages of sin must be paid. You know, the Bible says the wages of sin is death, and it's talking about the second death in that passage because everybody dies physically, but it's talking about the second death that we looked at back in Revelation chapter 20. In Romans chapter 3 and verse 25, it says, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. A propitiation is the act of appeasing wrath and conciliating uh, the favor of an uh, offended person. Our sin offends God. Something has to appease that wrath that he has justifiably toward the sinner. Something has to reconcile, conciliate, uh, between God and man. And it is only through faith in Jesus' shed blood that that reconciliation can come to pass. The Bible says without the shedding of blood there is no remission. It shows God's righteousness in that he requires a just payment for sin. Sin has to be paid for by shedding of blood because there's no other remission at all. And so uh, Jesus had to die on the cross. Uh, in Hebrews 9.22, just to back up what I just said, it says, And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Our God is a holy God. And we need to start seeing him as a holy God. He's not just some sweet Jesus. 
And by the way, his name is holy, and it is not to be made light of. I see all these signs all over the place, and I may offend some of you with it. It just says, thank you, Jesus. That's using Jesus' name in an uh, empty way. Because a lot of those signs, they don't know what they're talking about. It's just an empty way. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for what? And we do need to thank Jesus. I'm not saying that. But when you stick signs like that all over the place, it, it is called using it in a vain way. And that's against the Ten Commandments. But anyway, I got off on another rant there. But we need to grasp what it means that our God is holy. He is absolutely without fault, without error, without sin, or any other thing other than perfect righteousness. All of our righteousnesses, all of our good works, all the things that we do to attempt to uh, reconcile ourselves with God are but filthy rags in the sight of God. And we will see that when they are manifest in the light of God's holiness. We are to conform to the best of our ability with the holiness of God. And I challenge each and every one of you to take some time to meditate on that. Think on it. Reflect what it means. His holiness is seen in his hatred of sin, in his call to righteousness and holiness, in his separation from the unrepentant sinner, in his punishment of the sinner, and in his perfect provision for the repentant sinner. If one does not see his uncleanness, he has never been brought face to face with God's holiness. Understanding God's holiness will change our lives. It will bring the sinner to repentance and it will bring the Christian to service. You have been listening to Solid Foundation Ministries from Lenore, North Carolina. Dr. Kuvert has 35 years in the ministry as a former missionary and pastor. He is available for revivals and various conferences on missions, Bible, Baptist heritage, and the family. To find out more, go to our website, solidfoundationministries.com, or call 828-244-6505. Remember, the Christian life is not about you. It's about God receiving the glory.